Hey, everybody. This episode is brought to you by Lift Big, Eat Big's new workout program, The Phalanx Method. Coach, powerlifter, strongman, and historian Brandon Morrison took a unique approach in his creation to this three-block, six-month-long effort. Using ancient sources and modern techniques, he was able to recreate the training of one of history's most destructive military forces, the phalanx. And that's not just the sales line either. This is only three days a week in the gym, and it's brutal. I've uh, competed in powerlifting, CrossFit, and spent way too much time doing brutal army PT. And this is the hardest thing I've ever done before. And uh, you can do it at a commercial gym or like me from your garage. Uh, he also includes little historical tidbits every week to keep you interested and to keep you hooked. If you want to challenge yourself or just try something new, go to www.liftbigeatbig.com and enter the promo code donkey to get 15% off the phalanx method. Are you ready to become a warrior of oak and bronze? Right now? There's a conversation going on online, and if you're watching closely, it might feel pretty one-sided. Conservatives are being painted to be something we're not. Ignorant, bigoted, even racist, which we're not. Our ideas, our values, they're not being communicated clearly. Or worse, sometimes they're not being communicated at all. But there's an opportunity now to change the tide, and we can see that it's working. PregersU is building a counterculture with an impact on millions of people every day. Impact on people like Brad. PregersU helped give me more confidence to articulate my views and stand up for what I believe in. White power. Hello, and uh, welcome to another episode of the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and with me today is Justin Rose, the host of the Everything is Awful podcast. And someone, Word. Yeah, we've been trying to do this for a long time. Um and uh, full disclosure, uh, Justin did interview me once for my book, so uh, it's not that that really matters. It's not like I'm grilling him or anything. Today, we're talking about awful garbage people. Uh, so throughout the few months of this podcast history, uh, everybody who's been a longtime listener has known that we got, we tend to go in pretty hard on historical revisionism. Uh, our viewer questions episode kind of largely turned into that, uh, mostly because I'm insufferable and going rants and it can't stop me. Uh, also, my interview with uh, Tom was about the strange cult of Nazi commanders uh, in armor and things like that that kind of still hang out in some military circles. Um, and I'm sure I'm not alone in noticing a pretty recent uh, large uptick in the large warping of historical record uh, to further political aims in some sectors of American society. So if we call this the we call this the Charlie Kirk theory. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Also, I know I have some international uh, listeners. And uh, so this is going to be focusing on American uh, historical revisionism because I don't know what happens in your news media. Uh, Feel free to slide in my DMs and tell me and I'll gladly talk about it. Um, This includes things like the rehashing of the lost cause theory, uh, the clean Wehrmacht theory, which we've talked about a little bit and the myth that General Robert E. Lee did not own slaves. Uh, These are all things I'm sure we'll cover eventually, and they do deserve the attention of like full episodes or full series in some cases. So we're not going to hash them out here today. Um, Today we're going to talk about a slick propaganda machine that did not just stick a couple of fingers into the realm of warping history, but they jammed their entire goddamn fist in it. Uh, And we are, of course, talking about Breaker U. Ugh. Yay. Yeah. So before we get started, <laughs> I would like to say I have just been I have just spent over a month 
reading uh, various books and articles and things like that about the uh, Iran-Iraq war to include looking at uh, the like child victims of poison gas attacks. Um, this re- research was f- by far worse for PragerU. Uh, it is just so bad. Uh, and it's, yeah, they, when you when you start researching organizations like this, and, and you know the podcast that I did where we went into college conservative movements, and then there, there's a reason we didn't get into PragerU, and you're you're going to get into that because it's it's not actually a real university. Um, right. It brings you to a dark place when you have to spend a lot of time immersing yourself into these organizations and and trying to you know identify why they think the way they do, and it's it it hurts the soul. Right. It, it's a lot like uh, so. On lefty Twitter, we uh, we get rid of people by and like laugh them off by calling them tankies, right? Um, I don't know what you call people that prescribe to things like PragerU likes to talk about. Uh, I guess maybe we'll come up with a nickname for them by the end of the episode. Uh, but you've probably seen PragerU, uh, even if you didn't realize it when you saw it. Um, the videos are shared around uh, Facebook, um, Twitter, whatever weird garbage machine you use to argue strangers on the internet, their videos are on there. Um, their videos normally include people who at first glance look incredibly reputable. This includes uh, PhDs. This includes uh, noted experts in some fields uh, and chair people of things like the American Battle Monument Commission. Um, and they This all leads to an air of legitimacy. Um, like at first glance, because I know when I, for, when I watched my first video, and we'll talk about that video in a little bit, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Yeah, and that's <laughs> – so these guys – and that's one of the things that has made them, I think, a lot more dangerous than some of the other conservative movement groups like the Turning Point USAs and the Liberty Hangouts is they do present themselves in a manner that if you're not discerning and you're not really paying attention to what you're listening to, it's easy to get caught up in what they're saying and take it as legitimate, unbiased fact. Um, Charlie Kirk and Jack Posobiec and all them, they don't – Kurt Schlichter, they they Ugh. don't for a single second um, pretend that they're being unbiased in their their reporting, whatever you want to call it. These guys, PragerU does a they do a very good job of hiding maybe their their true nefarious intentions. Right, they make you uh, work to prove them wrong, which is one of right. those things. Like they have probably thousands of videos now. I don't know. They have a lot. Um, and we're going to spend well over an hour here just talking about a handful of them. And that's kind of, I, I assume that's their, uh, that's kind of their operating theory is like, well, you can't prove all of us wrong because there's literally so many of us. Uh, and, and they don't cite anything. Um, there's very little citations. The one, the one video that did have citations on it is the one good video in the entire library, which we will go at length about uh, who's, how the author ended up there. But um, they make you work to prove them wrong, and they do very little to uh, to to like make people who maybe are on the fence about it. They don't have anything for them to go off of other than what they say, which is good for a lot of people because they don't they don't want to do the extra work, so they'll just take it at face value. Uh, it's why Dinesh D'Souza is a a critically acclaimed in some circles author because nobody's going to put the research minus. Kevin Krause, Kevin Krause, whatever his name is, right. um, to prove him wrong. You know, he he speaks from an, a position of authority, and people just swallow it. And it, 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 their their Twitter exchanges uh, have kind of shown that getting in an argument with Dinesh D'Souza is a lot like. I mean, I don't have children, but I watch YouTube videos a lot, and uh, I've I've noticed it's a lot like trying to tell like a two year old that they can't have a cookie. Um, no matter how 
rational you are, they're still just going to scream at you. And that's effectively this in a nutshell. I guess we could just wrap up and uh, stop the interview. Um, yeah, that's uh, about it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, with this air of legitimacy, uh, during the video, you can normally see a speaker. Sometimes there's just moving charts, depending if they can't get a speaker that's worth a shit. Um, uh, there's quick moving graphs, uh, maps and charts and things like that uh, that just move around really fast. You don't get really a whole bunch of time to um, to look at them. And that's kind of the the whole thing. The videos only last like at most about five and a half minutes. Um, and these aren't your normal YouTube videos either. According to Prager himself, each video costs around twenty to thirty thousand dollars to make, and I have no idea how. Um, yeah, they're not. They're not. Uh, I mean, this isn't CGI. This isn't the newest installment of Avatar. Their videos are very basic in terms of production value. Um, for them to cost twenty thirty thousand dollars leads me to believe that they are definitely cooking the books in order to turn a profit. They are hiding their true value from the tax man. Yeah. And you know, like uh, when I was watching these videos, especially with a lot of them, I don't mean to be like super dramatic or anything, but I, I know of several, um, how do you want to call it? Low budget organizations that make videos that are significantly uh, more polished and things like that. Uh, like ISIS and, <laughs> and they don't, they probably don't spend $30,000 per video. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's probably like what you said. It's the money laundering scheme, which is kind of perfect. Uh, yeah. It's only when you look a little deeper, deeper in this, that uh, some guys you see are, uh, even with the impressive academic backgrounds I talked about are just outright garbage monsters. Uh, but be- <laughs> but before we get to those presenters, we have talked about the man himself, uh, the man, the myth, the legend, the guy who kind of looks like mashed potatoes come to life. Dennis Prager. Uh, he was born to an upper class family in New York City in 1948. He and his family were raised in the world of modern Orthodox Judaism. And he had t- attended a local yeshiva in Flatbush before going off to college where he would study history and Middle Eastern studies. Uh, and this would be the last bit of academia he would take part in. Uh, this is despite the fact that on multiple occasions he went back to school for his master's degree before dropping out or failing each time. Yeah, and I have a master's degree. It's not that hard. Yeah, and I'm starting to feel like this is where he uh, he probably developed his hatred for the university system because <laughs> he couldn't yeah, fucking I, pass. Uh, yeah. Uh, during his uh, studies, he traveled to the Soviet Union to meet and interview Soviet Jews about their lives behind the Iron Curtain. This would heavily impact him as Prager would become a hardline Zionist anti-communist during this time. Uh, and I'm not, I know I'm, I'm kind of like charting his, his life experience here. You know, what the Soviets did to the Jews is awful. I'm not minimizing that at all, but I'm not here to talk about that. Uh, he would eventually become an in-demand speaker on the subject, which would actually be his only paying job for uh, quite a while. It isn't too bad, right? Well, like a lot of things in this podcast, it's not too bad. You just got to wait like five seconds. <laughs> Uh, it is around this time that uh, Prager became uh, or began his screeching hard right turn in his religious beliefs and his politics. In 1976, he managed to la- land his first full time job. Congratulations, guy. It only took you like 10 years. Um, it's about a solid decade after he graduated. Uh, you know, the same people that he likes to malign nowadays for not being able to find yeah. a job when he graduate. Goddamn millennials. Yeah. Why can't you be like me and tour around and beg people for money? Yeah, I'd like to know where he got the money to do these studies to the Soviet Union. Yeah, I imagine uh, during that point in time, I know uh, 
uh, things were a lot different back then, but there was probably always somebody willing to throw money at someone that they knew would make the Soviets look bad. And it's still, Fair. yeah, it's the cold war. He, he came from religious background. Those two things combined always equal like a blank check. Which we will get into as we get into who backs PragerU. Yeah. Uh, so the full-time job was with the Brandis Barden Institute, during which time he began giving firebrand speeches declaring secularism and blaming it for the downfall of society. Uh, man, and this is in the 70s. He didn't even see that. I, I think at this point he's just speaking about how much he hates hippies. Because there's, like, there's nothing, I don't know what else he'd be speaking about. Uh, to be fair, I can't necessarily blame him for hating hippies because hippies beget boomers and boomers can fuck off and die. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, my my mom was a hippie, but she wasn't one of the ones that turned into a shitty boomer. She's just still a hippie. Like, she's just a 65-year-old lady who likes to really smoke weed and listen to, like, Jefferson Starship and shit. <laughs> Is your mom single? Uh, no, she's married to another oh. hippie. Okay. Oh. And she she so- actually ended up marrying a uh, Vietnam veteran who uh, got arrested while in a uh, Vietnam veterans for peace rally <laughs> okay got it all right yeah solid dude uh <laughs> he he was soon hired by kabc it was a local am radio station out of la to talk about religion that was the only reason why they hired him but he would not stick to his lane that for that long um it was around now that he began to equate any kind of criticism towards the state of israel to anti-semitism which uh we'll talk about a little later uh also it's in a lot of his videos uh, at one point, he uh, in one of the videos, which we don't go in depth in because we have so many other ones to talk about, um, about uh, possible war crimes in Gaza. He calls the Israeli Defense Force like the most moral army in the world, which is definitely true. <laughs> yeah, that that's uh, 100 percent true. If I say anything else, I'm probably get banned from iTunes. <laughs> yes. Uh, Prager is uh, also notable for having a history of being extremely homophobic, despite denying it. About every 10 seconds in his articles and radio shows. It's one of those. Uh, it's like one of those things like I'm not being racist. And then like you look over your shoulder once or twice. Like if you have to do that, you're being racist. Yeah. Like, and uh, so his 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 claims of not being homophobic, I think, would have a lot more legitimacy, you know, if nobody actually watched any of the videos and if he didn't take money uh, from Dan and Ferris Wilkes. Uh, so this is who donates more than I think 75% of PragerU's incoming revenue. Uh, if you don't know who Dan and Ferris Wilkes are, they are known as the Wilkes brothers. They are, uh, American fossil fuel industry businessmen. Um, Ferris Wilkes, uh, the more prolific of the two with, uh, in regards to having, um, a social media or not necessarily social media, but, but having a discernible background, uh, he's a former pastor of the Assembly of the Yahweh Seventh Day, which if you don't know who they are, and I didn't until I researched him, so don't feel bad. But uh, they are a conservative Messianic Israelite congregation um, that takes a literal approach to the Bible, uh, considering it historically and scientifically accurate. And they consider homosexual sex and abortion crimes. So these are the kind of people that would like to prosecute and, and put to death homosexuals. So Prager taking money from them and – also, at the same time, saying I'm not homophobic doesn't exactly hold a lot of weight. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he goes – uh, he says he's not homophobic. Then he writes some of the most homophobic shit you could yeah. possibly – like even without like horrible, disgusting uh, evangelical money. Like he is he, – he does enough on his own 
to be considered uh, pretty yeah. homophobic. Uh, so he has claimed uh, on his shows that the legalization of gay marriage is a greater threat uh, to America than economic depression. Uh, <laughs> those goddamn gays are bringing down the economy. Yeah. Uh, he With al- them spending all their money on Lycra pants and gold lame. <laughs> He also claims that this is because legalizing gay marriage will redefine the concept of gender itself, Uh, which is interesting that he is uh, he's so backward in everything he does. But he also recognizes that gender is a spectrum. So (laughs) he's very progressive, actually. Yeah, he's accidentally progressive. Uh, He is also credited with writing a 1993 titled Judaism Sexual Revolution. Why Judaism Rejected Homosexuality. Oh, man, this one's a gem. He writes, quote, Judaism cannot make peace with homosexuality because homosexuality denies many of Judaism's fundamental principles. It denies life. It denies God's expressed desire that men and women cohabit. And it denies the root structure that Judaism wishes for all of mankind, the family. Mm. Nothing about that uh, homophobic at all. Uh, That's just a normal conversation, right? That is very uh, prototypical normal yes yeah. yes yeah i'm not saying i'm homophobic i'm just saying they're bringing down the economy uh, you know i'm not saying i'm homophobic <laughs> but a man and a man cannot be a family i'm yeah. sorry yeah they can't love each other nope can't raise a child can't you know cook dinner and get into arguments over who gets to watch what on tv tonight they are completely ruining the idea of the family yeah i know what you're thinking well at least he isn't too worried about butt stuff like you know he's not saying like homosex is a sin like you hear from a lot of people but he quickly proved himself wrong. He also said that the typical lesbian has fewer than 10 lovers. The typical male homosexual has over 500. Uh, in case you were thinking that he mellowed out later in life, you'd be very, very wrong. He wrote about how gay rights would lead to fascism in America. Uh, and that colleges are actively trying to recruit students into the cult of bisexuality. Those are his words, the cult of bisexuality. A, what would a cult revolving around bisexuality look like? Would it just be a bunch of people jerking each other off and whatever means jerking off is occurring? I, I think it rolls right into his idea of just uh, gay dudes whole life revolving around fucking like there's just no time for anything else. Everything is fetishized like. I mean, if that's being in a cult, call me David Koresh because I'm all in. I mean, most cults are like that. Uh, they eventually all lead to fucking, but normally <laughs> just group sex all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Normally, afterwards, you have to die, though. So that's like the downside. I think if I had 500 sexual partners, I would be ready to die. I think it'd be like, okay, I've I've peaked both physically and sexually. I'm done. His opinions on what straight people are doing in their bedrooms is not any better. In an article titled, When a Woman Isn't in the Mood Part 2. That's right. It's a fucking sequel. Uh, And sequels are always worse than the original, so you have to only imagine how bad this is. Yeah, it's the gritty reboot because it's pretty much all about marital rape. Uh, He gives eight reasons why women should submit to having sex with their husbands even when they're not in the mood. That's right, fellas. Marital rape doesn't exist and it isn't your fault. Your wife is sickened by your touch. Yeah, he could have basically summed up this entire uh, eight points with one point. Women, if you don't want to have sex with your husband, you should consent because likely you will be murdered, uh, according to Dennis Prager, if you don't. Yeah. Uh, Instead, he says childhood trauma is one of the myriad of reasons that women try to get out of sex. 
Uh, by the way, if you take this advice by constantly pressuring your wife and having sex as opposed to uh, trying to, quote, get her in the mood, uh, together the relationship will probably end in resentment, divorce, and a prison sentence because this is illegal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he he effectively uh, he he says without saying it that marital rape does not exist because um, like that's the only thing you can take away from this. And then you know, of course, he has the uh, the hot conservative take that uh, only forcible rapes are real rapes. So we we hear the dog whistle, Dennis. Yeah, there's there's no hiding what he's trying to get around here, and it. it- this is kind of something typical to the more nefarious sectors of Christianity and um, in that a woman is completely subservient to her husband and that that includes in all facets, not just you know the kitchen, the living room. It, it includes the bedroom and the idea that forcible rape is the only kind of real rape is the real uh, – it's a slippery slope that allows men to justify, well, she didn't actually say no. And it's it's a dangerous line of thought that men have used for years uh, to justify being complete fucking scumbags. Right. And yeah, coming out of the uh, Orthodox Judaism community, he's definitely uh, familiar with the same attitudes as that. Um, they have a lot – especially in the, uh, the enclaves in, in New York, they have a pretty long uh, history and some pretty disgusting practices when it comes to women. Uh, like marital rape, uh, not letting people get divorced, shit like that. Yeah, uh, it's effectively. Uh, I I get why the evangelicals like them so much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, creepiness reached its height when uh, he wrote an article that was horribly titled "The Sandusky uh, Abuse Ch- uh, Sandusky Abuse Children NCAA Abuses History." Now, if you're not familiar with the uh, Jerry Sandusky trial and scandal at Penn State. Uh, Jerry Sandusky was an assistant football coach who abused countless young boys uh, in the school uh, to include in the uh, football shower room. And there is significant evidence pointing to the fact that the school knew about it the whole time. Yeah, it was an it was an institutional thing. The head coach of the team, Joe Paterno, uh, who is fortunately rotting in hell right now. There's credible evidence that he knew about it and he reported it to school administration. And this was not a one man operation. Uh, this was something that was clearly known throughout the school and and definitely swept under the rug. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of the same things pretty much happening in Michigan State right now. With the uh, the Larry Nasser thing. Um, the NCAA is disgusting and should probably die. But. So his main point for this article is that he is attacking the NCAA for stripping Penn State of their football wins in the aftermath of covering up rampant child rape. It so <laughs> with without getting too esoteric about the NCAA and and, and sports ball uh, record keeping whatever it's. It's not an illogical argument to make that the NCAA should not. Uh, um, how do I put this without coming across horrible? So, like, okay, imagine a football team goes sixteen and zero, and that is a good thing. But it turns out their coach is a horrible human. It doesn't negate what those players did um, to achieve that record. So, I can understand the point of saying the NCAA shouldn't shouldn't uh, change historical records of sporting teams because of the actions of their coach. But that's not necessarily the argument I'd want to make. Uh, in defending Sandusky, I guess, like, I don't, I don't think that I'm willing to put my neck out on the line to say, well, yeah, what Sandusky 
did is wrong, but what the NCAA is doing is really wrong. Right. That's, that's a bit much. I don't think anybody can justify uh, child abuse and, and homosexual abuse in any way. Yeah, I mean, because taking away football wins is is definitely worse than raping children. It's uh, equatable, yes. Yeah, absolutely. yeah definitely. Um, he accused the NCAA of trying to rewrite history and then uh, also went off on a separate rant how the evil libs in California were rewriting history by including minorities in, in uh, local history. It was a weird episode. Uh, most of the creepiness came with how callous he was towards rape victims, thus proving that uh, he was not one of those touchy-feely lefties who are uh, controlled by emotion. For those mm. who believe this to be an exaggeration, the article includes this paragraph. Quote, the lesson the NCAA is teaching young people that hi- that history and truth do not matter. If enough powerful people don't want them to matter, it can be as injurious to society as a cover-up to the victims of Sandusky. Yep. Again, <laughs> a team's sports record is completely analogous to being raped. Yeah. Totally. Yep. It, 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 I don't see the difference. Um, I, all right. And- for people and who don't understand is, our sense of humor, we're being fascistas. He's an awful yeah. person. <laughs> and maybe this is a good argument for another episode at some point. But the weight that we as a society give to sports in general it really kind of feeds into where this guy gets off saying shit like this. Like sports doesn't really matter. And for this guy no. to go even further out on the whim of sports do matter to saying, well, that being a victim of rape is analogous to a sports team having their record changed uh, really shows how far down the creek we've gone of, of sports influencing us way more than we probably should. Oh, I mean, for for sure. I I, I recorded an episode with Robert Evans on Behind the Bastards and uh, Pat Tillman, and we, were, we talked about that a little bit, too. And, uh, you know, compare that with like um, some people not buying shoes because a guy who plays a sport, uh, a fucking sports game upset you with his political opinions or like uh, claiming uh, uh, that the city is inferior to another because their team sucks. Like there's other reasons why that city probably sucks. Like, it, it's weird that brands and, and sports teams have become our national identity, which I'm sure that that's completely healthy for society. Nothing bad's ever going to come of that. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I could probably make an entire episode about how uh, big of a terrible piece of shit Dennis Prager is. Um, as I said, uh, but there's a different show out there for that. Maybe one day they'll do it. Uh, maybe there's more than one. Uh, I outlined Prager briefly to show that Prager and his fake university are not operating in good faith. Um, they're coming from. They're not coming from the realm of believability and they don't mean to. Uh, th- this would be unimportant. Uh, to our show, if he stuck to the right wing fringes and blamed everything on the leftists and talking about how inco- and talking about how income inequality is actually a good thing, those those are both things he's totally done. But what brings us to this fake university and 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 what brings us to talking about Prager is these terrible videos regarding history. Um, unlike yeah, you know, you know, it's weird because it, it seems like it, it's pretty common. That uh, that for now, anyway, uh, it's common now that people can can try to bring what I always thought, and I assume you always thought was was pretty well known elementary concepts of history into the political arena. I don't remember seeing that as often as I see it now. Yeah, the politicization of history. Uh, well, what's I mean, what's that famous George Orwell quote from nineteen eighty four? He controls the past, controls the present. Who controls the future uh, yeah, something yeah, like that know. yeah <laughs> it goes along those lines but 
it seems that it is becoming more common that people are trying to change the narrative around relatively straightforward historical events to try to put forth an agenda that may not be uh, in complete good faith. Yeah. And I mean, you have, like we talked about Dinesh D'Souza, he writes things that people consider history books and makes documentaries about things that people consider history. He's not a historian. Um, and, and these people will go on TV shows and on social media and argue with actual historians. And I mean, there are plenty of problematic historians, one of whom we'll talk about. Um, a personal favorite of mine who's incredibly problematic is John Keegan. Um, it, it, there there can be times when uh, historians are problematic, but you also accept the fact they're probably an expert in their field. And that's like something you have to cross. You have to cross that bridge if you're ever going to write a fucking paper. And it sucks sometimes. Um, but uh, the people that he brings on aren't like that. They're they're just incredibly problematic in their uh, their practice of history. Like e- even their historical opinions and things they talk about are demonstrably wrong. These aren't people who are really good historians, but also have like a shitty personal life. These are just people who are shitty historians who managed to trip their dick into success. And he now has an empire based on them. Yeah, I mean, on their on the homepage of PragerU, one of the people outlined or highlighted, I guess, for a, a video he created is Tucker Carlson. So I, that should tell you the <sighs> level of intellectual honesty they're operating with. Right. Uh, you, you're taking the talking heads from right wing media and from some mainstream right wing right wing media to some incredibly fringy shit. And you're giving them an aura of legitimacy by putting I, I understand Prager U is not a university, but uh, during uh, during my research, I discovered a lot of people don't understand they're not a university because I don't know about you, but. I thought there was some legal definition of university you had to make in order to have that name, but there apparently there isn't. Yeah, and so I have to imagine there is because it's the it's the reason some schools are called like Boston College versus Boston University. Universities, I thought, um, were schools run by a state, uh, or at least in some way federally funded through the state. You know, the University of Massachusetts is. You know, it considered a state school. It's why they don't call it Massachusetts College. Right. Um, and I have to wonder if that's why. And I and I noticed this when I was kind of doing a little background on them. Um, most of the time, they only refer to themselves as Prager Prager U. But on their homepage, if you go to the bottom, it says in very very small letters, Prager University is not an accredited academic institution and does not offer certifications or diplomas. Right. But it is a place where you are free to learn. Like they throw that in there to be like, oh, come on. You're you're just being a con now. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that's part of their deflection tactics. I know like their web address, Prager U, not Prager University. It's not like .edu. Um, right. But in some places, they also do call themselves university, which maybe that's how they get around. And that's not their legal name. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of people who assuming the same thing as I, but they don't uh, they don't look into it as much. They assume, well, a university can't be saying anything that's, that's crazy. Well, it's not the case. Uh, and, and that's kind of their goal. So uh, Prager, Prager U, uh, Prager U started in 2009. Uh, despite the fact uh, that he named that, like we said, it's not a university, though it does manage to cling to a nonprofit status somehow. Uh, nor does it teach any classes, issue any degrees or certificates, or employ any actual teachers. 
Uh, it's a, its main medium of reaching an audience is instead through tightly produced five minute long YouTube videos. And man, are there a lot of fucking videos. Uh, their motto is uh, wonderfully enough and a little bit confusing is undoing the damage of university five minutes at a time. Yeah, it seems like they've, they, uh, they, they're they modeling themselves to be like an alternative to actual university as if, you know, the best way to receive education is through five minute YouTube videos and not, you know, four to seven to ten years of actual studying. Yeah, the, you know, if we would definitely have cancer cured if they just like watched five minute long YouTube videos about how vaccines cause autism uh, instead of going to med school, that would probably wrap this whole thing up pretty tightly. No. Uh, so I know what you're, what we're about to get into here. It's a, a sample platter of uh, video titles uh, from the front page of the YouTube channel. Uh, so, it, I'm not going to talk about all these videos, but I'm just, I'm just telling you the uh, the title to to understand what we're talking about here. If you haven't already picked it up by how big of a piece of shit Dennis Prager is, um, what is wrong with government and healthcare? Public union, public enemy. Who needs feminism? American media, Soviet tactics. And if you hate poverty, you should love capitalism. <laughs> it, so you could see what, what, what they're, what they're trying to, if you're, if you're trying to pick up what they're putting down here. All right. Um, so there's a good chance you ran into one, if not all of these videos on Facebook, uh, because that's where I first found it. Um, and, and now if you're me, um, it seems like they have an endless stream of ads on YouTube. Like I literally cannot fucking watch a YouTube video without seeing a Prager you ad. Yeah. And that's, that's a lesson that a young, a young buck like you needs to learn is that when you're going and searching for these horrible right-wing organizations, always do it in private mode, uh, or incognito mode, which is also how you should watch all of your porn. Otherwise you will, (laughs) well, apparently not. Well, um, but yeah, that's how I avoid having all of these organizations in my ads when I did all that research is because I, I searched for all of them in private mode. You know, and I was using Safari, so I, I've, I have been betrayed by, by the Apple Corporation. Um, mm, shocking. Yeah, right. That's never happened before. Ever. Um, maybe, yeah, like I got caught in some hell world algorithm that just only spits Prager U videos at me. Um, I don't know. I, I just doomed myself forever to deal with that after this episode, uh, which brings us to the videos. Uh, let's look at the first one. All right. So I won't be playing any of these videos and I won't be playing any audio clips of them because uh, I have also learned during my research that uh, PragerU is incredibly litigious and will sue the fuck out of me. So, yeah. And I, I know to make that money. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as as gracious as I am uh, for the donations that keep this show going, uh, I cannot afford a lawsuit from them. So sorry, guys, just you to them. I'm going to give you uh, I'll put the, the the links if you really hate yourself and you want to watch them. Um, the first video I found is called Why Did America Fight the Vietnam War? Uh, the host is a guy named Victor Davis Hansen. He is a senior fellow at the Hoover Institute at Stanford University. Uh, and before I dive into the video himself, uh, let's talk about the host, who is just a fucking ghoul of a human being. Uh, Hansen is a classics professor at California State University, uh, a fellow at the Hoover Institute, like I said, a best-selling offer, and uh, he was on the American Battle Monuments Commission, uh, being directly appointed by the president. He is also a writer for the National Review. And, Which is uh, a very legitimate organization. <laughs> yes. Uh, that president he worked for is George W. Bush. Uh, let me let me know if you're kind of 
catching up where we're where we're going with this. Uh, for his first book was titled Carnage and Culture. It's a little more than a cherry picked love story for the superiority of Western culture over everybody else. Uh, post 9-11, he used his book to tell anybody who would listen how we would obviously overcome our new savage enemy. And thankfully, that happened in quick order and it hasn't taken 20 years, right? Mm. Uh, he was also an ardent supporter of the invasion of Iraq, a position of which he has not backed down from. <laughs> because as time has gone on, it's definitely been proven that the Iraq war was definitely, definitely not illegal and definitely just. Uh, he also said that, quote, Bush's tenure was without corruption. <laughs> I, I don't understand how the like. So I can see spinning Bush's uh, administration in his eight years as a positive if you if you agree with some of the things that he did. But this is just blatant whitewashing of Bush's tenure. How can you, I don't these people don't operate. Uh, without any sense of shame, I guess is the best way to put it. They are willing to lie. The Ben Shapiro's, the Charlie Kirk's, all these people, they're willing to lie and know that they're lying and not even think twice about doing it. That's why I think this this particular guy is um is so problematic to me because what he says, I do not believe he thinks he is lying, and that that's an issue for somebody in a higher learning uh you know, professorial position like he's in. Um, I, well, I don't think he thinks he's lying. <laughs> he's definitely lying. Yeah. And that's the fact that he works for an accredited institution is terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And he's considered an expert in classics, but we're not talking about classics, but that doesn't stop him from talking. Right. That, that's another thing. He's like the Jordan Peterson of history. Uh, he's not, he, he's a, he's a classics professor. That's what he's good at. Like uh, my main focuses european history if i talk about anything else it requires a fair amount of research uh because i didn't fucking study it but here right. he, here he is having some hot takes in a five minute long vietnam video it, it, it's gross um he also uh loves him some donald rumsfeld uh, comparing him to george marshall who was the u.s secretary of state during world war ii um he's also said there's no overt racism in the 21st century <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just go on. There's there's nothing to say about that because anything we say will just be redundant at this point. Have you ever heard of the Gates affair? Uh, vaguely. So the Gates affair uh was uh when a Harvard professor by the name of Henry Louis Gates uh was in his own home and cops busted in and arrested him thinking he broke into the place. Yeah, and this was one of the actual few points in the Obama administration where you kind of wondered if he was doing the right thing because that was that resulted in the beer summit, right? I believe so. Yeah, that was poorly conceived. This is, I think, the second episode in a row I've had to directly quote a Dave Chappelle joke because he literally made a fucking joke about this before it happened. I don't know about if you ever listened to a stand-up, but way back in the day, I think I first listened to it in high school or middle school. Uh, he was telling a joke about a guy who was arrested in his own house and the cops have him in handcuffs like, wow, the motherfuckers hung pictures of himself and his family all over the place. Yeah, that was the killing him softly. Yeah. Uh, yep. Hanson took the side of the cops. <laughs> well, that, this is in the same breath. He said racism does not exist in the 21st century. Right. Because a, a black man definitely could not live in the brownstones of Cambridge, Mass. No, no, clearly not. Uh, so anyway, like uh, Prager himself, I had gone all day about this bastard. So let's get back to his video. Uh, the video clocks in in about five minutes, as per usual with Prager U videos. 
Hansen attempts to frame the Vietnam War like the Korean War, in that the U.S. is involved in one of many wars uh, of the Cold War, which that part is, if you squint hard enough, that's true. Um, that's definitely true. Um, that's about where the truth ends, though. Um, during the video, he discounts Kennedy's involvement in the war completely, putting the majority of the escalation in LBJ. Uh, but it was Kennedy who inherited the American involvement from Eisenhower. So he's just kind of like just shoving all the weight of the war in a president he doesn't like, which seems pretty uh, common with this guy. Uh, yeah. When Kennedy took power, there's only uh, 900 military advisors in Vietnam. By the time Kennedy was assassinated, there's over 20,000. So he definitely started the escalation. Now, LBJ definitely escalated the war. Um, uh, he definitely escalated the war that there's no uh, there's no. Uh, argument to that but to say right. Kennedy did not is, is facetious uh, he also blames the entrance of the US into the war on quote communist aggression uh, and now if, if you just accept the communist aggression as north on south violence kind of true uh, the south is also guilty of some of that but he also pretends the Gulf of Tonkin incident simply never happened um, sorry you were saying something yeah, you know, I was gonna say that's like that, that's like saying the reason the U.S. got involved in the Pacific Theater for World War II is because uh, it, it is ignoring Pearl Harbor. To say that the Gulf of Tonkin incident never happened, or to to ignore its significance in uh, our our role in Vietnam is is dangerous in that it's 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 very revisionist. Right, and and it's ignoring the fact that we've all come to the conclusion, and the Navy's come to the conclusion, that the Gulf of Tonkin incident simply never happened. Um, like it was all made up. Um, right. But that makes the U.S. look bad. Therefore, he didn't talk about it. <laughs> um, he also uses this the common refrain that you actually hear a lot nowadays um, and points out that, uh, quote, commanders had more restrictions on them than prior wars. He's effectively uh, uh, pleading the case that if soldiers were just let loose, they would totally win the war. Uh, which is patently false, uh, honestly, especially when it comes to Vietnam. It's patently false. Uh, the U.S. commanders would eventually be a- able to invade several other countries in pursuit of enemy soldiers, and American forces would drop millions in, uh, of more ton- tons of bombs on Vietnam than they did through all theaters of World War II combined. So there wasn't a lot of strings attached to these guys. About the only string attached is like, don't nuke somebody. Yeah, the ROE for Vietnam was essentially non-existent if you compare to what modern day u.s forces and nato forces are held to um you know if you've ever engaged with anybody who fought in the vietnam war you would realize that there was very little holding them back from doing whatever it is that they wanted to do at any given moment and i mean that argument in itself and like i said you hear a lot nowadays when it comes like afghanistan and iraq but the the idea that what's really making us lose the wars. We're not just letting our, our commanders and soldiers do whatever the hell they want all the time and do awful things. When like historically pretty much any power that ever does that also loses. It's like, maybe this is where his classics things coming into play. Like if we just let, let our dudes fight like fucking Genghis Khan, we'd win. But like, yeah, uh, uh, the, the nearest thing I can think of is, um, the first Chechen war Russians get stomped. Um, and the Soviets in Afghanistan killed like 10% of the entire country. They still lost. So like he, he's, he's, he's just arguing for, for just mass murder and hoping that helps you win a war. Right. Um, but his crowning achievement was probably, uh, 
when he blamed the 1960s culture for creating a less cohesive and far less conservative country than before. This is why the U.S. lost the war. Uh, That's right. He's blamed the hippies again. It again, baby boomers are the reason everything sucks. So I'm not going to (laughs) disagree with them. Sure. He also, um, in the end of the video, he declares that quote, the U S defeat in Vietnam was a political choice, not a military necessity. Yeah. Mm. Which is funny because the whole war wasn't a military necessity. So how can like, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the, yeah the war was not actually uh god yeah i mean the the most i'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt there's no we were not defeated militarily but we also could not win militarily like it's ab- absurd to think about in, the, in those ways there's a reason why it lasted for fucking over a decade um then he also goes on to blame the de- democrats for uh for everything so there's that um there, there's a, another video that's called the uh, the truth of the Vietnam War that goes more into depth that um that why the Democrats were at fault uh, for why for why we lost Vietnam. Uh, so through both of their vi- of these videos, uh, what is clear is that the history of the war they subscribe to is incredibly flawed. They blame the Democrats for failing to resupply Vietnam and letting it fall to the frothing communist hordes. They uh, also somehow miraculously leave out Richard Nixon. Uh, they leave him completely blameless in both the expansion of the war, which they put in LBJ, like I said. And they also praise Nixon for the peace process that he engaged in. Um, this discounts one major historical point here, and that is that, act, uh, that Nixon actively sabotaged the Paris Peace Accords of 1968 in order to win a presidential election. This is not conjecture. This is historical fact and is on recording. Uh, the Nixon chairwoman of the Nixon committee, Anna Chenault, was in close contact with Vietnam, uh, with South Vietnamese ambassador Bo Diem, constantly telling him not to agree to anything. Um, how do we know this? This is good. Like, obviously, Nixon didn't talk about this. Well, the whole thing was caught on CIA wiretaps. Um the CIA and Nixon definitely did not trust the South, Viet- South Vietnamese government and had the entire embassy and most other South Vietnamese uh, government buildings wiretapped. Uh, LBG, uh, sorry, LBJ actually knew all about it and called Nixon to talk about it uh, for him to come clean, telling him to knock it off. Uh, the entire phone call was actually played uh, during the Ken Bird's Vietnam War documentary. Uh, it's an awesome documentary you can catch on Netflix. Um, uh, but during the phone call, Nixon denies everything and uh, has no idea that he's caught on wiretaps the whole time. Well, and it's not even the wiretaps. Um, there were handwritten notes from Nixon's chief of staff, H.R. Alderman, uh, Haldeman, excuse me, that uh, show Nixon trying to influence the peace talks while still a candidate. I mean, his own staff documented um, what Nixon was doing, and it came out as part of, of you know, the record keeping rules that apply to any presidential uh, administrations and campaigns. So him denying it flies in the face of everything that can be proven otherwise. Right. And LBJ is caught in a shitty place because he can't go public with the information to sway the election in favor of Humphrey uh, because it would torpedo his, the United States relationship with the Vietnamese government by admitting he had every single one of their fucking buildings wiretapped. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. He can't exactly admit to committing a crime when trying to prevent another crime. Yeah, and that's actually uh, 
interesting note that they kind of happened during World War One. The Zimmerman Telegraph, the 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 Brits are like, here we we got this. Don't ask how, but like yeah, everything was wiretapped because they didn't trust us. The same thing here. Um, so their theory is bullshit because Nixon never would have been given the chance to negotiate peace nearly ten years later if he had already fucked up the peace process. Uh, a bonus shout out goes into Henry Kissinger, who the video completely ignores. Uh, Kissinger was simultaneously working towards peace with LBJ while feeding information to Nixon so he could wreck the peace talks. Um, so like, and that's kind of their modus operandi. We we already talked about that. Is uh, they make these videos so short and and so um, like they don't talk about well, there's they, they don't say like what I say at the end of my episode. Like, there's so much more to this we had to cut out. You'll never catch them saying that. Um, it's like this whole video is the history. Let's just stop there and move on. Well, and they're the perfect they're the perfect medium for the type of people who consume most of their knowledge uh, through social media these days, uh, because they speak from a position of authority. Um, their their large number of uh, page views and video views kind of begets more page views and video views because if you, if you see a video with 30 views, you're going to question its legitimacy. If you see a video with over 5 million views, you're going to think, okay, well, people wouldn't watch this if it was bullshit. Um, and these days, so few people want to do research into what they're actually learning about that they are willing to subject themselves to these five-minute videos and think that constitutes um, you know, a, an in-depth research into the subject. So they've – I have to give them credit. They realize that people don't like to kind of do their own research and have really uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? They've, they've, they've canned this historical knowledge and using air quotes here, uh, packaged it um, and given themselves the ability to not be questioned for what they're putting out. Right. They're like the uh, a weird video version of a listicle where like – because like everybody wants – their information very easily accessible, but also not that labor intensive and very quick, like right. a, a five minute video though. Admittedly, when we both tried to watch these videos and I actually resorted, resorted to the show notes they normally put in their, in their comments because their five minute videos just feel like a fucking eternity. Um, and I, mean, I think that's partly because you, you actually know what they're talking about and it's probably painful for you to listen to someone present something in such a, wrong way uh for you to have to sit through the whole thing it 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 hurts honestly like because i've had a couple professors over my years in college who have said things i i disagree with like opinion based but i have never heard so much factually incorrect things being bandied about as being like legitimate knowledge it's it's impressive uh it's like if the shitty racist uncle from your facebook feed had a YouTube video uh, following in the billions. Um, but so we're going to give you a little bit of a palate cleanser and we're going to, because uh, I know who my, my guest is today. We're going to move on to uh, baseball history. Cause I know Justin's a huge baseball fan. So I get to piss him off at a personal level now. Uh, Great. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so of course the only video they have um, on racism is baseball. And how it doesn't exist. Uh, there's actually um, a video defending Ty Cobb. Uh, now, Ty Cobb, I know a lot about uh, personally because I'm from Detroit. I'm a Detroit Tigers fan. Ty Cobb is a Detroit Tigers legend. Um, but Ty Cobb is also a well-known asshole of baseball history and a virulent racist. 
Um, the video points to, uh, so the video disputes this. Uh, they point to accounts of his teammates who said, well, I never saw him be racist. <laughs> Uh, it should be noted that his teammates were all mostly Southern white dudes and they're all about one generation removed from fighting for the Confederacy. Uh, so take their opinions with a grain of salt. Uh, yeah. And like, I, I don't know if you played sports growing up, but when you're on a sports team, if a player is really good, a lot of times you're willing to either overlook or not exactly call attention to the fact that they're a fucking prick, but also it's not surprising to me that a bunch of white people who are most likely racist did not call out someone else who was a lot more open with his racism. I mean, it's 2018 and that still happens. This is 1907. Yeah, you have baseball <laughs> play, you have baseball players now who have a well-documented social media history of like dropping N-bombs and calling people faggots and their teammates are like, well, he really good at throwing a baseball. Maybe we shouldn't worry about what he does personally when on the field he's really good at what he does. Yeah, yeah. And um, like we talked about earlier, the, apparently it's it's not a new concept that people are willing to overlook a lot of awful shit if you're good at throwing a ball. This <laughs> uh, always blew my mind. Uh, this story is ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, so in 1907, Cobb beat the shit out of a black guy who dared to walk through fresh asphalt near him. Uh, in another incident, uh, while he was playing, uh, someone was heckling him mercilessly. And this went on for most of the game. He did nothing the whole time, as he normally didn't. Uh, heckling is common in sports now. Apparently, it was much more active and violent back then. Um, then the guy uh, called him, I'm not going to say the word, but he called him a half N-word, um, which uh, offended Cobb to the point that he stopped playing baseball, leapt over the, the retaining wall, and began to assault the fan um, uh, like just punching this dog shit out of him, had hand him like he was on top of the dude, just raining blows on him. Uh, there's a good reason why he was winning that fight. However, because the man, a guy named Claude Lock Locker, I might be pronouncing that wrong, had no fucking hands. So would you say that he would be unable to throw hands if oh, the situation presented itself? I see what you did there. Ah, <laughs> uh, so surrounding fans knew that Claude had no hands. Uh, and begged for Cobb to stop because once again, the man had no fucking hands. Like he's beating a handicapped person to, uh, Cobb replied, quote, I don't give a fuck if he has no feet. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so I know this is horrible, but in a very, um, slapstick kind of way, it's kind of funny. You can just imagine like, uh, vaudeville music's playing in the background the whole time while he's just pounding this poor handicapped guy. Um, so, I mean, again, the, the whole, the reason why I brought that up, the whole video was that, uh, it was discounting the idea that Ty Cobb could possibly be a prick or a racist, which is kind of a unique video to make of all the videos to make. You pick out like the one guy in baseball history that is like renowned for being a racist. Just say, well, he wasn't a racist. Why? Yeah, there's nothing there's nothing to be gained from releasing this <laughs> right. video unless you're trying to rewrite history so that your idols aren't who they actually were. Right. Um, right. There, there's no like good reason for this video to ever exist. And there's actually a book on the subject. I forget what the book's called, but uh, it, it's kind of it, it, its point is that he wasn't as bad as everybody made, made him sound to, that he was. Um 
which is weird that that book exists, but it does exist. Uh, and that's that's probably why the video was made is it was, it was uh, out at the same time as the book. But I mean, the book is hundreds of pages long and I don't need to read it because when you do things like that, I don't care what else you do like in your life that you're a piece of shit and a racist. Right. And you don't have to. So I'm I'm a Red Sox fan and the Red Sox are are very well known for having a very not uh, woke past. Um, no. Uh, yeah. The Red Sox were one of the most racist teams. Tom Yaki, who, who owned the Red Sox for a large um, large part of their their formative years and their history uh, is notorious and well known for not wanting Willie Mays on his baseball team because he was black uh willie mays is one of the greatest baseball players of all not willie mays i'm sorry jackie robinson excuse me uh jackie robinson was one of the greatest baseball players of all time um i can still like the red sox and appreciate what they're doing now and acknowledge that in their past they were a very shitty organization that employed shitty people you you don't have to uh like an organization's past to appreciate what they've done right and like i'm still a tigers fan they paid this man for years and he's one of the best players in their history I can accept that while still accepting he's a fucking asshole. Yeah. Um, you, you don't need to rehab people uh, to accept certain things about the past. Some people are just irredeemable pieces of shit. Um, and now with that palate cleanser out of the way, we get to what is my personal favorite video on uh, PragerU because it is the most ridiculous that I think I have ever seen. Um, and it is titled, If You Love Freedom, Think the British Empire. Because <laughs> I know when I think of freedom, I think of monarchy. Mo- mo- uh, just fuck, fuck me. Um, <laughs> just go. Little background. Justin is brutally hungover, uh, which, is, which is great because uh, I was actually hungover a couple episodes ago and it was just fucking miserable. <laughs> yeah. If you guys want a little behind the scenes, I just sent uh, Joe a message on the Skype chat as we're talking over Skype audio saying that if he hears me take off at some point, it's because I'm going to be violently puking. So <laughs> for the listeners, if you hear me take off at some point and Joe stutter through uh, my not being here, it's because I'm puking. That's going to be that's going to be the show card for this. Is it is that text? Uh, OK, <laughs> uh, so uh, we don't really have to get into how horrible this this video is, but we will anyway, because that's why we're here. Um, you can tell from the from the title itself it's it's not operating anything that we could consider reality um now i have some choice quotes from this video uh quote the british believed the final and necessary justification of their empire was a moral one the british kept the peace they brought sound honest administration and they insisted that basic moral standards were honored Wow. Okay. So there's a lot to take in there. Um, and you know, this is another, we just talked about that. Like they make things that are just so insanely inaccurate that you take a, a five minute video that uh, encompasses hundreds of years of history would take hours to completely disassemble. Um, cause they know that nobody can do that. Like I didn't get all the time I needed to do this, but like, I, I picked a few things out here that are apparently ridiculous. Um, the video speaks of the empire's abolition of slavery, which is true. They did do that in 1833. Uh, but this discounts the fact that they were a major driving factor in North American slave trade for hundreds of years in the first place. Um, they're the reason why it existed for the most part. Um, you know, uh, 
like after the Civil War, America was never racist again because the slaves were freed. Um, it's true. Yeah. Charlie Kirk told me that. Yeah. Yeah. I heard it from Ben Shapiro. Um, oh. <laughs> also, this is disregarding the fact that the Slavery Abolition Act of 1833 did not end slavery. It was a semantic thing. Uh, it just made slaves people instead of property, uh, after which they became indentured servants, which was still a thing. Yeah. It, a pickle is still a cucumber. It's just got a different name. <laughs> it's deep, man. <laughs> Thank you. I'm really <laughs> proud of that. I've, that. That came out of nowhere. I like it. Uh, they also champion the empire as some kind of bastion uh, beacon of moral freedom and, and ethics. Um, this totally ignores how the British Empire engineered what might be considered uh, a genocide of ruthless profit. And uh, so Indian tradition uh, called for part of the crops uh, of every area to uh, to be taxed and the other part to be held on to. Um, obviously the Indians being there forever, uh, understood their weather patterns and knew that they were hit by drought and typhoon and sometimes crops failed. Um, that second part would turn into something that resembled a strategic reserve of food in case there's a famine, uh, as they hit pretty regularly. Um, when the British learned this, uh, they jacked the taxes up by 50% in order to pry into the reserves that the villagers were keeping. So by 1770, when the rains did not come, causing the crops to fail, it led to the deaths of 10 million people. Uh, throughout the famine, the British East India Company never eased off on the new taxes. Oh, wait, it gets worse uh, because that's our tagline now. I think I think it fits. Um, <laughs> fast forward to the age of Churchill, 1940s. Everybody likes to champion Churchill. This is a thing that happened not that long ago on Twitter. Uh, somebody famous was holding um, Churchill up as a. Uh, the paragon of, of, of morality and leadership. So can we, can we sidebar for a second? Of course. Of course. Um, is it just me or is, uh, general Mattis starting to get the Churchill treatment where he looks really good on paper, but the more you get into him and you get into his background, uh, the, the outer skin starts to rot away a bit. I've always been, um, kind of in that boat when it, when it comes to the weird worship that like the cult that surrounds him. Um, I mean, even before he got into office uh, as secretary of defense, he was involved in like fucking fraud and scheming and pyramid scheme type shit uh, after he retired. So like the the dude has his issues. Uh, yeah. And I think it's very similar to Churchill where the deification of, of Mattis is centered around the fact that he can produce a really good quote, um, but there's not a lot of substance behind a quote. So, and I think that's Churchill too. Churchill had some great quotes that if you take them um, – solely in the context of presented as a quote makes him sound like a really great guy. But when you look at the deeper uh, thought process and a, a lot of the things that he did, he, he's not, you know, he's more than just the sum of his quotes. Yeah. And, and outside of the small bubble of world war two, uh, he is by far one of the worst people in history. Um, I mean, on the military side, uh, he came up with a plan to invade Gallipoli in world war one. He's a fucking idiot. Right. Um, also during, I mean, and, and the, the, I think the British Parliament knew this because immediately following World War II, he was voted out of office. <laughs> he was no longer prime minister. Uh, so when he was um, a, a prime minister during World War II, uh, once again, um, uh, India was hit by a famine. Uh, also remember that this is a time of total war. All these colonies are being churned up to produce soldiers and food crops for the war effort. 
Um, so the supply chain was, uh, it was in- incredibly important and, uh, w- it led to India, uh, being heavily guarded as at the British empire's breadbasket as it kind of was throughout history. The rice fields fueled the empire's armies in Europe, Africa, and Asia. So, uh, so many crops were actually, uh, taken from India that the army got a surplus even beyond all of their, uh, their, their rationing needs. Um, another famine hit. Churchill, then Prime Minister, did absolutely nothing to alleviate the suffering of the Indian people. Why? Because he's a fucking racist. Uh, and this isn't conjecture. He'd said as much. When, when he was begged to send relief to India, he said, quote, I hate Indians. They're beastly people with a beastly religion. The famine was their own fault for breeding like rabbits. Yeah. Solid, dude. Yeah. Um, instead of diverting supplies from military surplus, he actually began pulling more supplies away from India. Uh, when he received a telegram again, begging for relief, uh, saying people were dying and, uh, people were, were, were resorting to cannibalism. Churchill said, quote, if it's so bad, then why hasn't Gandhi died yet? Yeah. Mm, Winston Churchill. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> this is like at the same time when, uh, the Indian independence movement's going on. So that's how, and he fucking hates Gandhi for it. Um, uh, millions of people would end up dying for his inaction. Um, but that's just regular racism, right? Well, I got some bad news for you. They did awful shit to white people, too. Uh, <laughs> uh, not, hopefully no ears picked up and suddenly get more interested. Uh, which brings us to the modern invention of the concentration camp. Um, many people don't know, but the the British and the white South Africans actually fought two wars. Um, and the the British lost the first war. And in the second war... They decided to resort to uh, throwing pretty much every South African Boer in a concentration camp during the Second Boer War. Uh, they were first constructed in 1900 in order to try to sap the morale and life of the Boer resistance to the British occupation of South Africa. Uh, instead of being full of fighters, the camps are full of women and children. That the fighters left at home. Uh, there's actually two separate camps because this is South Africa we're talking about. There's a camp for blacks and a camp for whites. Um, the camp for blacks was actually much, much worse, as you can imagine. Uh, they Shocking. weren't, yeah, they weren't even actually given tents. Um, they were just like thrown in a camp and expected to make it work. Um, the camps were brutal. Uh, the white prisoners were given tents that quickly fell apart when subjected to wind, leaving the inhabitants to be battered by the elements. There was no hospitals and any way for the sick or injured to receive care for diseases like typhoid, measles, and dysentery that swept through the population, killing thousands. In a few short years, tens of thousands of civilians would die in the camp. Uh, the video goes out of its way to like not say a single goddamn solitary word about Ireland, um, which the British have done so many awful things to the people of Ireland that I honestly don't even have time to get into it. <laughs> that's uh, a whole nother episode. Yeah, that's, it's that's a whole history book full of shit. Yeah, um, not even Prager. You could find a way to spin that shit. Um, and also uh, the video also ignores things like the Sykes Pico agreement. Uh, uh, post-World War One, that divided the Middle East into the borders that we know today. That effectively created the uh, the constant Israeli-Palestinian conflict uh, through their bumbling buttfuckery. Like, uh, the, also, um, Sykes-Picot goes on to be so problematic that ISIS uh, quoted it as a problem in a video. Like, you you know you fucked up historically when a terrorist organization's like, can quote your exact treaty that you fucked up on. Um and this is uh, not talking about 
things that the Brits did in, in North America to the Indians, things like that. We can't talk about all the awful ways that the British Empire is terrible. Just know it's terrible. There's a reason why it doesn't really exist anymore. Uh, and there's also a reason why a lot of people revolted and fought against them. Uh, there's actually, a, a, during the Sepoy Rebellion in, in, uh, in India, there's a, a good anecdote for how little the British cared about the people they took care of. So uh, they came out with a new rifle. I can't remember exactly what it was. It was a version of the Enfield. But um, the, the new magazines needed to be lubed to to work because old-timey guns were gross nice and to and they had to be lubed with grease the grease is a, a type of fat that was made from possibly pig possibly cow uh sources uh well their sepoy soldiers were hindus and muslims neither neither it's problematic yeah neither side could touch this fat so it's problematic they, yeah and to make things worse the way that the um the guns were designed as you had to tear the packet open with your teeth. <laughs> now, um, they eventually, but when the, when the, the Sepoys, which were the, the British, uh, the, the British Raj army, uh, started to rise up, uh, the, the Brits came out and said, you know what? You can use whatever fat you want from home to grease your gun. We don't care. Just, you know, chill out. Uh, but it was way too late. And, uh, like tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people would die. Uh, and then they would be crushed and the British Raj would continue. But yeah, that's just like a small anecdote. There's so they do things that are so incredibly dumb that, uh, that they obviously don't know anything about the people that they're in charge of. Um, so how does he hand wave away the undeniable destruction that happened under the British empire's watch? He calls it benign neglect that. So, they just like accidentally their way into a handful of genocides, death camps and massacres of native people. Like it's, it's, it's absurd. Like, I don't even know. What I, 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 so if I was to explain what benign neglect might be is like it, it, from the Prager you mind is like, well, we looked away for a little bit uh, from the administration and then all this awful shit happened and then we didn't stop it, which isn't the case. Yeah, it's 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 uh it's letting the fox into the hen house and looking away and when all the hens are dead you're like, "Oh, I I couldn't have imagined that was going to happen by putting a fox in a hen house, but here we are." Right, right. Well, I never would have thought that would have happened. Yeah, yeah, it and in many in most cases, it's not benign neglect. It's active fuckery. Like I can't think of a single incident that we just talked about that could be ever construed as neglect. They're taking an active hand i mean the only kind of neglect i could see was the fact they let a corporation run a country (laughs) for a very long time um yeah like the east india trading company is like every libertarian's wet dream um so another thing that he go they go on to talk about how um british ethics and morals trump the day was uh in india uh they know uh a guy named Charles James Napier, who was the commander in chief of India at the time. So the locals had a practice called sati, which is widow burning. Uh, disgusting practice. Uh, if somebody, uh, if somebody's husband dies, you throw the woman on the funeral pyre. Gross. Not. I'm not defending sati here. Um, but uh, they they go on to um, explain that 
Napier ended the practice of Saudi, which one is not true. It actually still happens in some places. And two, he ended it by hanging people. Um, so if uh, anybody even brought it up, uh, people got hung. That's how they try to like smash it out of existence. Um, one problem, of course, is that Napier is an asshole. <laughs> Uh, he undoubtedly had a hand in killing thousands of Indians, if not tens of thousands. Um, there's multiple uprisings in India during his time there as commander in chief. And uh, one of them he put down brutally by saying, quote, the best way to quiet a country is a good thrashing, followed by a great kindness afterwards. Even the wildest chaps can be tamed. Yeah, that's the whole uh, I hit you because I love you philosophy. Right, right. And um he was so brutal to the uh, the Sindhi population after the Battle of Menyi that uh, they actually started debates in the British Parliament. Like, imagine being so awful that the British Parliament needed to sit down and have a talk about you. Sorry, I just had to throw up my mouth a little bit. Yeah, no, that's um, <laughs> it's not a good look. And I mean, I get the um, the I actually kind of understand where Prager you started here, and that's like, well, he kind of tried to end Saudi. Like, yeah, but he ended it by hanging people and he still killed tens of thousands of others. That's like uh, gi- giving at one, an asshole credit for one good deed is like saying Hitler wasn't that bad because he banned public smoking. Yeah, the trains ran on time. Yeah. So really, we can wipe away those eight million Jews. And he really liked dogs. <laughs> uh, well, to be fair, nobody that doesn't like dogs uh, can be a good person. So that's yeah, I guess. So what you're saying is. You and Hitler agree on something. <laughs> hey, you know what? Maybe he wasn't so bad after uh, all. You know, you know, no one ever gives him credit. You know, no, everybody else tried, but he was the one that finally killed Hitler. You know, uh, so Jesus, uh, oh, oh, it took me a second to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was like, I was like, what? Oh, okay, I get it. It's good. <laughs> so uh, I can't cover um, all these videos. Uh, there's, I think there's thousands of them honestly at this point i i honestly don't know uh, yeah i read they release one video per week uh and they've been around since 2009 so i'm sure someone way smarter than me could do the math yeah uh also uh so before we we stop talking about these videos we we have talked about the one video that alerted me to prager use existence and that is a title or a video titled was the Civil War about slavery? And if you haven't seen the video, uh, you're probably expecting one of the most reductionist videos that's ever been made in the history of the world because it's from PragerU, but you'd be wrong. Um, it was published back in 2015. Um, and it was the first video I ever saw. It was being shared around Facebook. Uh, like prob- like It's probably where everybody else saw it. And it went viral fast. Um, the video's host is a Colonel Ty Sedul. I might be pronouncing that wrong. Uh, he's the professor of history at West Point, so yeah, he's got uh, he, he's got some good credentials. Um, actually, we uh, we interviewed one of his former students for a different episode here. Uh, so surprisingly, uh, the video points out that yes, the Civil War was absolutely about slavery. There's no ifs ands or buts about that. Uh, the state's rights argument is also true as long as you accept that the state right they're arguing over was the right to own humans as property. Uh, right. That always bothers me when people claim the civil war, uh, maybe not when they claim, but when, when people are like, well, the war was about state rights. It's like, 
okay, yes, ostensibly it was about state rights. But you have to understand that the state rights they talk about isn't about the ability to, you know, tax at the state level or or gun ownership. It was literally about the state's rights to own people. So you can't really wash it away and say, well, it was about state rights when the state right that was being debated is the owning of people. Right. And the video goes on to note uh, all the state's constitutions that seceded talked about slavery being the reason they are succeeding. Um, and uh, the talks about the cornerstone speech where the vice president of the Confederacy talked about how slavery is a cornerstone of the Confederacy. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's a convincing video if though if you already didn't believe that the Civil War is about slavery, one, stop listening to my show and two, uh, you're wrong and no video is ever going to prove you wrong. Uh, so I know what you're thinking. What the hell is a colonel in full military uniform doing appearing on a YouTube channel that had recently compared President Obama and Secretary of State John Kerry to Nazi appeasers? That's a video that exists. It's about Iran. Um, he had no idea who they were. Um, so it turns out that Colonel Sadul had actually never heard of PragerU and was completely and totally unaware of their insanity prior to being contacted by them. Um, he was doing multiple media appearances at the time. Uh, he said it was like one of 20 for an upcoming book and didn't think anything of it. And as an author, I can say that I get a lot of um, emails like, hey, appear on my show. Come here. And I normally say yes without really looking into it because authors are thirsty motherfuckers, man. We got bills to pay. <laughs> so I, I can I can identify with them. Um, he. uh he wasn't paid for it, as I think uh, you just told me that uh, if you're a teacher at West Point, you can't get paid for that type of thing. Yeah, I have to imagine because I know I have to imagine that being in you because I know the Hatch Act prevents people from um, or not the Hatch Act, but there's it, it's the military equivalent of the Hatch Act prevents members of the military from appearing in uniform for any political purposes. I also believe that there's something that prohibits members of the military from using their position in the military to um, generate funds for themselves. Like I can't imagine I I could sell uh, – so I, I sell Disney timeshare on the – not timeshare, but Disney travel plans on the side to make extra money. I can't put on my business card, you know, uh, Captain Justin Rose, uh, Disney travel planner. Uh, it it right. goes against – you know, you cannot use your position to profit essentially. Yeah, and you know – most of the time, maybe more successful authors get paid or, or people some of these actually heard of. But I've never been paid for any appearance any anywhere ever. But uh, so that's pretty common, I would think. Most most authors do it for exposure. Um, he has also never been on the show ever again, so that's pretty telling. Um, you know, and there's obviously the UCMJ uh, article about uh, being involved in political activities in uniform. That's why I truly believe that he had no idea who he was talking to. Um, and like I said, I interviewed one of Sadul's uh, students, uh, Riley Dosh. She was on here to talk about the um, Mahmoudia rape and murder. We talked about uh, Sadul quite a few times. Um, she emailed him and I, I was trying to get him on the show, but I think he's uh, since his, uh, his running with PragerU, he's, he's, he's much more, uh, uh, thorough in his research before he yeah. goes on a show. So he's, he's exercising like, a little more discretion. He's not going to go on some leftist podcast. <laughs> yeah, probably for the best, dude. But, you know, hey, whenever you retire. Um, uh, she told me 
that uh, he actually was not too happy when uh, he found out who Prager U was. And uh, you know, there's uh, he he did another video where he's interviewed by Dennis Prager almost immediately after the original video came out because this video blew up millions and millions and millions of uh, of people watched it in short order. And um, in the interview, Prager is incredibly careful to keep the conversation 100% focused around the video and, and the, the responses to the video. Nothing else. Because I think he he wants to keep the charade going with Sadul as long as he can. Because he knew he knew eventually like one of Sadul's cadets or somebody else would be like, what the fuck are you doing in Prager U? Uh, but... Uh, he also was interviewed because Stars and Stripes did an article on it. Uh, like, how the fuck did a colonel end up on PragerU type thing? Uh, in the article for Stars and Stripes, he said, quote, what I was trying to do, uh, what I was trying to do was educate others and show how we educate, train, and inspire our cadets at West Point. I hope this helps people of all political stripes. Which and, is a good reply. Yeah, I mean, it's the diplomatic reply of saying, like, those assholes fucking lied to me, but... <laughs> Um, you know, he has a point. Um, and I, I, I get it where he's coming from because this is 2015, which feels like a lifetime ago, um, where there was, you could almost have dissenting opinions with other people and not get ripped apart. Um, and, uh, in the South, for the most part, this is an incredibly unpopular historical opinion to have, uh, but the fact remains is like he teaches people from all over the United States to become officers in the United States military. Um, I can see where he's coming from. It, I mean, it's a, it's a solid backpedal answer. <laughs> like, fuck, how do, how do I explain how I ended up there? Because you can't admit that you didn't know who they were. You look dumb. Yeah, you can't just be like, listen, <laughs> I, they wanted me to come on and I wanted the publicity. So here I am. Yeah. I mean, wh- this is all good because to me, this shows that West Point cadets get a good history education. Like, I don't know about West Point education. I just had uh, Tom on here on here for the part four of our Iran Iraq War episodes. Uh, he's a ring knocker, and he and he told me time and time again that the schooling at West Point's really hard. Um, I'll believe him because I'm a fucking idiot and I went to public schools. Sorry, right? so um, yeah, I, so I, I will err on the side of people who actually went to school there. Um, but it, it to me it shows even if he did kind of accidentally his way onto a YouTube video ran by internet fascists like he, it shows that West Point cadets get a good history education. Yeah. Um. That now that is unlike the video's comment section, which holy shit! If you have if you ever want to read a YouTube comment section, and I'll never say this again, but go to this video on YouTube and read the comments. There's actually an entire genre of videos that popped up around this video that is like fat people like wife beaters making rebuttal videos to, towards an internet uh, like towards an internet video that upset them directed at a colonel from west point <laughs> yeah I have, I have one rule in life and that is never read the comments to anything because it's never anything good and it's never anything productive yeah and you would 99 uh, percent actually i'd say 100 fucking percent of the time you'd be absolutely correct on that um this is the only time I'll ever recommend anybody reads the internet comment section. Um, yeah, and, and there's a whole bunch of stuff, fat, sweaty people calling Colonel Sadul like a fucking idiot and like a libtard and all sorts of other stupid shit. It's, it's wonderful. Um, now, I brought up this last video for a good reason. Um, 
And this might be a conspiracy theory, but this also um, recently Bellingcat um, put out an article about how people end up in the alt-right or becoming fascists in America. Uh, Bellingcat, if you've never heard of them, are, are an amazing investigative journalism group. Uh, they found out things like where the rocket launch or the missile launcher was when Russia shot down the uh, the airliner over Ukraine. They found out the identities of the scurple poisoners in, in England. They're, they're good at their job. But they mapped out uh, like a pipeline of how people get introduced to these ideas of um, something that can be looked at. If, you, if, if you're looking sideways, watching YouTube videos, uh, kind of distracted like how we, most people do. Nobody's like normally paying super hard attention to a YouTube video um, that these ideas seem okay to you. And they, and a lot of the presenters in these videos lead you further down the pipeline. And, and that's why my, my theory is Prager let this video on as a recruiting tool. Um, because if you look at their history before or since, there's never been another video like this, even approaching this. It is not only mainstream, but fucking progressive. Yeah. So they do have another video um, that you could consider similar to it. And it actually, if you look at it via the metrics, it may actually be their most popular video of all time. Um, and their website is surprisingly down right now. Uh, but they have a video titled something along the lines of like, how does the electoral college actually work? Uh, and it's incredibly uh, nonpartisan at all. It is actually a very good informative video on how the electoral college works. Cause for a lot of people, especially if you're voting for the first time in a national election, it's a sort of complicated uh, process. And right. for all their videos, uh, it has something like 58 million views. Um, and I think it serves the same purpose as the, the history or the video you're talking about in that it gives them a little bit of credibility where if that's the first video you see by them, because it is an informative video, it will give you a little bit of uh, cover in that it's it's not so horrible that if you say, oh, I watched this video by PragerU, people aren't going to be like, who the fuck? Right. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of get why they would pick um, Sedul to, to play this role, and especially in his uniform. Americans are conditioned to trust the military. Um, and are at the ver- Suckers! Yeah, or at the very least not along quietly as everybody, everybody else trusts the military. Cause you'll get yelled down if you don't. Um, and that's where myself found Prager. You, like I said, I was like, Oh, this seems like a cool thing. So I followed them for a while until I saw the bug fucking sanity of it all. Um, some people don't do that. Some people, I, I, I can't explain how some people operate, but I understand that, People become loyal to a brand and or at least they, they become trustworthy to a brand like, well, I like PragerU, so these videos must all be real. Um, so you dive into the into the rest of these videos. Let's say you hit the like button. You like this dual video. You go into it a little bit further. That's when you start seeing videos that argue that uh, white people who sympathize with Ferguson writers are worse than white supremacists and that violence against women is largely an unsupported myth. These are, these are videos that exist. Um, now, a lot of people will turn that shit off. I mean, most people will, I would say, but some people don't. Uh, and PragerU feeds on those some people. 
Uh, they want to suck in that self-important crowd that deems themselves subject matter experts because they watched a five-minute long YouTube video uh, that has little to no citations. They're they're like the they're like Joe Rogan effectively um, with without a, a cool sidekick and monkey dicks because um, he's horribly guilty of doing that all the time. Um, and people have, have said it that much as when they fell for it. Um, I found a pretty long thread on Reddit. I know it's a it's a great um, research group. Uh, where people yeah, Reddit's definitely known for their deep uh, investigative background. Oh yeah, <laughs> like the Boston bombing. We got them, guys. Yeah, exactly. Oh god. So <laughs> being from Boston, that was so goddamn dangerous. Oh dude, you had it was rough. Identifying I, at one point, uh, a gym coach from like Methuen was identified as the bomber, and he, he had nothing to do with it. He was just a guy with a backpack during the marathon uh, who was caught on some camera, and suddenly. Like his life was ruined for a couple of days because they they identified him as the killer and he had nothing to do with it. Oh, f- fucking! I hate Reddit. They're, they're just the most garbage people doing the most garbage things at the most garbage times. You know, the bad part is I agree with you and I use it all the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what does that say about you? Uh, that well, I would be the first one to tell you that I'm garbage. First off, oh. I, I would never lie to you. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so uh, on, I found uh, something in, on Reddit that was like, what the fuck is PragerU is effectively what it called is what it's called. And it, what it was was a long string of people saying, you know, like I watched my first couple videos and I fell into this rabbit hole. And then like it took a long time to like get out of it when someone opened my eyes. One person said, quote, I watched the videos nearly religiously before I realized what I got myself into. That says a lot. Um and more importantly, like I don't think the the mainline PragerU videos are um, are problematic. I, I I would say that they're just as bad as watching Fox News, which is bad. Um, but watching Fox News probably isn't going to turn you into a white nationalist Nazi, probably. Um, but look at some of the people they have listed as faculty. You can see where this path can lead people. People like Dinesh D'Souza, Ben Shapiro, Stephen Crowder, David Clark, the racist sheriff. Uh, James O'Keefe from Project Veritas, Jordan Peterson, Candace Owens, Adam fucking Corolla, and Yakov Smirnov. Yeah, those two alone um, are, are. I mean, I don't see how you consider either one of them subject matter experts in anything except for maybe boobs and, and terrible comedy. But to, right. to list them as faculty <laughs> kind of shows that you're not an institution worth being taken seriously. Right, right. And I mean, now uh, there's 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 a large number of people in the PragerU faculty, if you want to call them, they're not really faculty, but that are connected to some insane shit. Uh, I mean, like Ben Shapiro fucking motivated a shooter once. Uh, Steven Crowder makes his living harassing college kids. Um, David Clark's negligence as sheriff killed like six people. Uh, James O'Keefe has been arrested for fraud. Uh, Jordan Peterson's fucking Jordan Peterson. Like. <laughs> I, I go so I, I've I've done a, almost a whole episode on another podcast, the What of a Hell What a Hell of a Way to Die podcast on Jordan Peterson, and he might be the most disingenuous of all of them, and and maybe the creepiest too. His obsession with Disney princesses makes me look relatively normal. He gets really upset. Like he didn't didn't he start crying during one video or something? Like uh, I, I don't know if I missed that, but I I know he's he's done lengthy talks and written many articles and videos. About why uh, the Disney movie Frozen uh, is detrimental to the the fabric of society because some 
God knows reason, but he's a really, and his, so the thing that's weird about him is his craziness is seeping his daughter. Have you heard about the, the, the pyramid type scheme she's running right now? Oh my God. He has a kid. Somebody had sex with he, him. He has a, an 18 or 19 year old daughter uh, who is becoming famous and making money for selling her diet plan um, and the ability to speak with her. So she eats exclusively meat. Like oh, she doesn't. Yeah. And so what she's doing now, because she lost a lot of weight or not, not lost a lot of weight, excuse me. Her pitch was that she suffered from like depression and had a ton of health issues. And then suddenly she just started eating nothing but meat. And now all of her health issues have gone away. All of her psychological issues have gone away. So she's selling consultations with people on the internet where if you pay something ridiculous, like $200, she'll talk to you for half an hour about eating just meat and how it will change your life. So he has not (laughs) just been destructive by himself, but he somehow turned his daughter into being the charlatan uh, on the internet as well, Uh, which takes it to a really deeper level of being a douchebag when you involve your family into it. I remember, so I, uh, full disclosure, I used to listen to the Joe Rogan experience quite often until about two years ago. So w- when he started becoming really, really insufferable, he's always been bad. But you really don't need Joe Rogan anymore when you can just smoke weed and sit on the couch and talk about other dimensions on your own. But um, he had Jordan Peterson on and Jordan Peterson was balls deep in his all meat diet. And he said that he had a drink of what apple cider vinegar and stayed awake for a month. Like, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So I, I still will listen to a uh, Joe Rogan on occasion when he has a good guest on, but he's one of those guys that can very easily, um, with the wrong guests, get into really dangerous territory. Like when he had Tom DeLon, John. From Blink 182, that was fascinating because Tom DeLonge was so so crazy and so out there that even Joe Rogan was like, "Man, you're losing me here." Um, But yeah, yeah, you know, you get someone like Jordan Peterson on who, again, you know, can speak with the appearance of having uh, authority. Joe Rogan falls headfirst into it and is willing to go along and say some really ridiculous shit. Oh yeah, and uh, he's had Peterson on probably five or six times. He's also had Steven Crowder on. uh, and that was the only episode I've ever watched where he lost his cool with somebody. And that wasn't because he was like a sexist piece of shit is because that Steven Crowder said something bad about weed. Yeah. Um, uh, he's had uh, Candace Owens on too, who is definitely someone um, not worthy of your attention, but he's, he's gotten a lot worse lately. It seems. Uh, well, he knows what's paying the bills. Um, sure. So, I mean, there which brings us to our conclusion or, or our discussion on this episode is um, allowing history to be hijacked uh, by ghouls who count the host of the fucking man show as a professor is not only ridiculous, it's fucking dangerous. They're harnessing history to push a twisted politics on people that dehumanize and insult large parts of the American population while encouraging violence against anyone who might stand against them. These videos have well over collectively a billion views. Um, so I know I told you like the, my whole concept for this episode is Prager U is dangerous and bad for America. Um, <laughs> but like, how do we counter this? Like, cause I mean, I, my, uh, our podcast has grown surprisingly uh, to the point that people actually want to listen to us. 
But, you know, me screaming at the internet with you is not going to do anything to counter Prager you. Um, it's not. But how do we, as a society, attempt to, like, gain control uh, of our own history going forward? Because it's it's being distorted and and effectively defiled. And, I mean, a lot of the shit that they're doing uh, dishonors and defiles the idea of history, in my opinion. Um, and what they're doing is outright dangerous. We talked a little before we started the show. Uh, how do we counter this? I think so. I think the best way to do it is to obviously look at what they're doing that works and try to counteract it. Um, Prager U, for for as horrible of an organization as they are, are, are a pretty smart organization. They've found a way to craft the narrative and to craft a message and to get it to large groups of people and have it accepted as gospel. And I think we need to look at the way people learn and consume anything really this day, not just history, but how people consume a lot of their their knowledge and a lot of you know what they bring into their receptors um, and kind of acknowledge that, okay, maybe people aren't going to pick up a book on you know the history of the British Empire and sit down and read it and then cross-reference it with other books from maybe different perspectives and you know by authors with different goals. Um, I think Kevin, and I'm going to fuck up his last name, but Kevin Cross or Kevin Krauss is one of the people who's been really effective at countering uh, these these bad faith actors like Dinesh D'Souza um, by understanding that people don't want to read 500 pages on the British Empire to to prove a five minute YouTube video wrong. Right. He is able to you know tweet thread 15 or 20 tweets, which isn't that many, and completely tear down these arguments. Uh, of people like Dinesh D'Souza and PragerU and um, Ben Shapiro and all these other fuckheads. I think that's where you start is by understanding how people consume media and and turning it around and basically beating them at their own game. Um, and then the other thing is is something that you and I discussed, and this may be a little more, I don't want to say revolutionary, but a little more out there, is I think the news media uh, maybe needs to get out of the opinion sector. And you kind of brought this up where you, you weren't sure that editorials had a place in the news anymore. And, and maybe that's why um, organizations like this are able to get big. People have this theory now that the news isn't to be trusted and that legitimate organizations that produce the news have uh, a factual bias depending on their political leanings. And 90% of the time, those opinions are crafted uh because people mistake the op-ed section for um legitimate credible news and maybe that's where we start is by you know removing the opinion from news altogether and and focusing more on solely you know disproving false narratives yeah and you know um i always thought um that was kind of the point of news like i i grew up uh, like i told you i grew up reading the newspaper because i was a lame kid. And I remember opinion pieces as being that back part of the newspaper that I never, I never read. Um, because why do you want to read somebody else's opinion on things that when, when there's actual facts that back them up, um, or when there's actually factual things and accounts that you can read of. And now we, I mean, this is before I was born, but we've graduated from having, opinion pieces in newspapers having entire channels that call themselves news, which is nothing but opinion. Um, and then when 
somebody comes forth with some incredibly dishonest take on a historical account, say like the British empire helped spread freedom and shit. Um, and you disagree with them. They can just say that's their opinion, but it's not, they're just wrong. They have a wrong education. Like I think we need to, because the the thing is, in my opinion, even though I'm, I'm a political person, history shouldn't have politics. Um, I, and I understand that's kind of hard to accept, uh, because history is written by the victors, but you know, in, in the, tw- in the 21st century, we have so many different accounts of so many different parts of history that you can combine them together and have a pretty non-biased take on it. Like it should not be political to say slavery caused civil war. It should not be political to say that, uh, the British empire caused numerous genocides and atrocities across the world. It shouldn't be political to say that America has done that. Um, cause it's not, those are just historical facts. And if, if people get offended by that, by that, by that concept, I, I don't know how to, how to change them. I don't know how to change that because they have been so changed and maybe even indoctrinated to, to accept, uh, this nationalist notion that, uh, that, that the history of a place is also your history, like you personally, um, that they need to be, that, that somebody speaking against it is offensive. I, I don't know how to how to change that. Um, and I, I see that is getting worse as nationalism becomes more prevalent, not only across America, but across the Western world. Yeah, it's it's interesting how much we tie our our identities to where we are from. And it's why I think um, politics is even getting a lot more divisive is is. You know, and this might go back to, um, I know you brought it up earlier, like the Southern strategy and, and tying in ideological roots with um, who we are now. People people were trying to base their identity on something that's not really that important, whether it's it's sports or politics. And when you, when you, sorry, I'm, I'm kind of getting lost in my thought here, but when you are identifying who you are based on your politics, um, you're a lot less likely to accept opposing views. Like no, when I, someone I, I completely understand what you're trying to say. Yeah. When someone attacks your politics, you're taking it as a personal attack. And that's why I think people are getting so divisive is, you know, if I, if I agree with abortion, but someone dis- disagrees with it, it seems like nowadays people are taking that disagreement personally. Like, like my opinion on, you know, whether healthcare should be federally funded and whether healthcare, you know, should be a <laughs> universal right is some, um, personality flaw if someone disagrees with me it's not a personality flaw it's just a matter of opinion and i think that's what these these organizations like prager you prey upon is that they make you know what you believe politically uh, a part of like your intrinsic value yeah and they're, they're taking that same yeah you know, politics has changed so much in the last decade decade and a half but um yeah you know, they're trying to take that same attitude and push it towards history effectively i mean uh, I know a lot of people who disagree with me politically, and that's fine. Um, but uh, it, it happens a lot. Like I just spent almost the last ten years of my life in Texas, and um, only recently are they starting to teach that slavery was an integral part of the Civil War. Um, when it came to science, uh, they, I think they use the term "teach the controversy between creation and evolution," like the. And they even have started saying that in, in aspects of history of teach the controversy. There's no controversy. There's only irreputable fact. Like 
science and history are, are very different in that aspect that there's many parts of history that simply don't change because you can't relive them. You can't uh, test them in a lab. Like some things have been fact since they've happened. Um, but they're trying to turn those into a spectrum where you can disregard them by saying, well, that's just your opinion. Like that's not an opinion. I, I think that's a, the, the going back to the op-ed thing is we've, we've made the op-eds such an important part of our everyday discourse, whether it be on TV or in newspapers, um, websites, whatever, um, that now uh, op-eds are, are effectively considered fact in our news. So when someone says something that is, you know, like a research paper with uh, like, I just had to write fucking 40 goddamn pages of research papers. Nowhere in there is there an opinion. Because that's not what that is. Right. And in, and it's, it's similar to you. What I you know, went through my master's program, if I submitted a paper to one of my teachers that considered – or not considered, but that uh, presented something that wasn't backed up with fact, my professors would give my paper back to have the section circle and say unsupported. You know, you can't – in research, you can't present something uh, without, without being able to back it up and have it just accepted. Right. Right. And that's – I think that's what they're going for here. Um, but unfortunately for us, they have no signs of slowing down um, at all. Their their views are only going up. They're only getting more videos. Um, I just, the the thing is, is there's no counterpoint. There's no, you know, there's nothing else has been streamlined to, to the point of PragerU. And there's, I mean, there's countless historical videos on YouTube that, um, that are true, like that are not the flashy $30,000 an episode Prager U videos uh, hosted by people from the internet that your weird cousin has heard of. Those don't exist um, in the, in the academic world. So there's no counterpoint to the, like the, the tightly wound five minute video uh, to counter, to counterpoint uh, theirs. And I think, Maybe we need that. Uh, maybe historians somewhere need to get... I'm not a real historian. I'm a fucking amateur at best, and I scream at the internet. But maybe real historians need to get together and hit back. Yeah, I mean, and maybe that's kind of what I was alluding to earlier, is that you know history has long been considered a very dry subject because, um, for the most part, history is irrefutable. Uh, what PragerU is doing is making it almost sensationalized it's it's the soap operaization of something that is otherwise um you know hard to debate it's hard to debate history when so much of history is rooted in fact right uh what they've done is made it something that's interesting because you can debate it and maybe that's what real historians and and people who take um you know these kind of things seriously need to do to convey that message which is why again and i hate to go keep going back to him but i think he's really mastered the art uh, of, of hitting back without resorting to ad hominems, but tearing down arguments so effectively that, you know, he renders them ineffective is, is Kevin Krauss. Yeah. You know, if you took his tweet threads, uh, where he counteracts Dinesh Susan the types and turn them into five minute videos with him narrating and, and using the same level of invective, um, but maybe making a little flashier, I think that's a good beginning to, you know, destroying the narrative that people like Prager you are creating. That sounds like a magnificent idea. So funny story. Um, you're one of the people that uh, like 
kind of helped me uh, get my confidence when it came to like emailing people to get them on the show. And I wanted to interview Kevin Krause, Cruz, whatever his name is. I, I want to interview him. I still do really, really, really bad. Um, and you sent me an email address like, oh, look, it's right here. You sent it to me. And I was like, oh, fuck yeah, I'm going to send him an email. Not the same guy. So I, 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 sent it, <laughs> I sent an email out. It was some random lawyer in like fucking uh, Connecticut or something. And he's like, different guy, but good luck. <laughs> like, thanks, buddy. Well, you said you wanted to interview Kevin Krause. You didn't yeah. say which Kevin Krause. I was simply facilitating <laughs> a Kevin Krause. That is true. That's very true. So we're, yeah. this is officially, I believe, the longest podcast we've ever done on the show. Uh, so before we take off, uh, go ahead and plug your pluggables. Um, yeah, so I do a podcast that unlike yours, nobody wants to listen to and nobody looks forward to listening to called <laughs> Everything is Awful. Uh, we, it's myself and my friend Jordan. We generally talk about uh, current affairs, pop culture, and try to provide our, our spin on it. Uh, we recently did an episode on very similar to this, but uh, looking at a lot of the college conservative groups and and why we consider them so dangerous. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about Turning Point USA and Charlie Kirk and um, Liberty Hangout, with, which is the Kent State gun girl. Yeah. Uh, but that's really the only thing I do worth plugging. Um, other than if you want to come watch my men's league hockey games, uh, I'm pretty good at fighting and scoring goals. So every Thursday <laughs> night, uh, the Prince William County hockey rink in, in Virginia, come on out. All right. Thank you so much for coming by. I look forward to having you on again, man. Yeah. Take care, buddy. Yep, talk you to too. You. Hi, this is Nate Bethay and I'm the producer of the lions led by donkeys podcast. This show is brought to you by audible. And as it just so happens, audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30 day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash donkeys and browse the selection of audio programs. Download his title for free and start listening. Once again, that's www.audibletrial.com forward slash donkeys to get started.